0: Wednesday. Welcome back to Aces Up the Sleeve. I'm Patty, co-hosting with the co-managing partner of Pocket Aces Racing, or par for the quick reference, Jared Shoemaker. And today we are joined on our interview series by um, a jockey that I think several of our partners are definitely familiar with, Adam Baskitza. And he has agreed to, to come onto the podcast and sit down and talk to us and kind of before we get rolling into that interview, uh, Jared, Adam, how are we both doing today? It's Starting to finally, the weather's finally turning. It's starting to get nice. So, are we enjoying this new turn in the weather?
1: Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Patty. And um, hopefully, spring's coming early, and we've got that bad weather out of the way. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 very well, and thank you for having me on. I mean, you introduced me like I was some sort of famous person, but <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. But we've had some we've had some good days together with the syndicate, and uh, if I can repay you with. Some sort of words of wisdom and keep things interesting. Uh, it's a pleasure. Well, thank you, thank you so
2: so much. Um, and uh, you know, all is good here in Lexington. I hope all is good in Louisville and uh, and uh, Turfway, uh, Northern Kentucky later in the week for you. And um, just thrilled to have you on and 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 get to know you a little bit better and maybe you know talk a little about some of those uh, good times we've already shared. So. Uh, Yeah. Again, thank thank you very much, and looking forward to it.
0: So, and in this podcast, we're going to shed light on all things pocket aces. We're going to talk about the finer points of syndicate ownership. We're going to sit down, kind of like with this interview. We're going to talk to maybe some of the people that you have seen on these past performances and on these charts, and uh, pick their brains, find out a little bit about how they do their jobs. You know what their day to day looks like, and hopefully, by the end of of these episodes, you are enlightened, inspired, you're entertained we just we you know this is one of those episodes where i'm really excited to sit down and and talk to them like i always have great respect for for a jockey's job it's it's so hard cuz you're kind of you have to do a lot of everything at once and i imagine it's it can get a little hectic sometimes so i'm really looking forward to sitting down Adam and and kind of hearing your your thoughts on things from what i remember you, i know you've ridden for us a number of times we've won several races together in the 2021 and 22, 2022 runnings of the Kirtana Stakes on everyone's favorite race mare that we end up talking about all the time. But if you just want to get started on a little bit of your your background, just to like a general uh, introduction for maybe some of our listeners who might not know who you are, we can we can go from there and we can kind of get going into, into the sit-down.
1: Yep. I'm 31 years of age. I'm born and raised in Cambridgeshire, Great Britain. I am probably a second generation of a training family
2: so, so you grew up around the races then
1: yeah so my family on my aunt's side train both my cousins ride my mother works for my aunt so yeah I've just always been very much involved since you know before I could remember in school days and was always heavily interested to think that the next progression was always going to be a jockey. And that's, you know, I think every young kid, male or female, if they're in racing at a young age, I think they all want to be a jockey. Don't they really? I mean, until they start maturing or if they grow up or grow out, that's, that's usually what they want to be really, isn't it?
2: I, I, you know, with the last name Shoemaker, I I grew up idolizing Bill Shoemaker and I remember watching him, uh, win the Derby on Ferdinand to this day. So a- absolutely for me, you know, I, I I was going to the races. You know, my family wasn't in racing, but I was going to the races, you know, from the time I was six years old or, or maybe even younger. I've just always, my family's always gone and enjoyed it as fans. And, you know, having Bill Shoemaker as a jockey, I just thought that was just the greatest thing in the world. We had the same last name. So as a kid, I I definitely dreamed about being a jockey. And, and that, that dream was dashed by the time I was about 13 years old <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so where did you did you grow up as a youngster as a young kid you being going around the track all the time with your aunt and or going to the track with your mom when she was working and
1: yeah so it's probably a different progression from like a young American kid wanting to be a jockey in England versus America because we have pony racing in England and Ireland which is very popular but I know in America uh, they're just starting to introduce it but it's still very much um, in the making but uh, yeah just started off with ponies Uh, they have like pony club where you know young kids can sort of learn how to jump on horses and do dressage and show jumping eventing type of stuff and I think that's a that's a good background to sort of it's just another discipline of riding a horse and I'd have done that when I was at school and when I was getting into my early teenage years I started pony racing uh doing the faster stuff and getting on the quiet racehorse when you know I was in probably before I was a teenager and just progressing from there and working towards you know, when you're 16, 17, where you can get your license and uh, yeah, go on
2: from there. So, when when did you get your license and get started in England?
1: I was quite late, actually. I started at 17. Most most jockeys start when they're 16, but I I opted to finish school and my GCSEs and take it a bit more seriously. And uh, yeah, so I didn't go to the apprentice school until I was 17. Got gotcha. started like back end of 2009 I think it was took me 11 or 12 winners and uh got the first one out the way and yeah got going from there.
2: All right so now how long did how long were you in uh, did you race in England before you decided to make uh make the move over here and what what prompted that move?
1: So I wouldn't have said it was many failed attempts but I just said (laughs) there was many attempts I came over just to get out of england for the winter where there's only one jurisdiction surface shall i say there's just all weather racing and it definitely winds down to the point where people do go to their overseas ventures and i try to do that sort of off my own attempts just to come over here and i was very intrigued about american racing as well and what it had to offer and just the different discipline. And I came over when I was 18 and I had it all set up through my agent to where I was going to work for a trainer, which was Mike Stidham. I worked for him for, I think it was maybe three months. That was down at Fairgrounds in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether I say, I, I loved it and, you know, I was dying to come back because I was still a bug rider apprentice in England and I was sort of slowed down just of the process because people want you to save your claim for the next right. year. So you're more favourable. So I left sort of un- unwilling but ended up seeing the bigger picture for those three months. And, yeah, I did learn a lot. And I think it's good to sort of expand your character and get to know more people. And it definitely did because I think it might've been maybe like four years later, I came back for another three months and cut a long story short. um, When I worked for Mike Stidham, Joe Sharp was the assistant. So when I came back, I ended up just breezing for Joe in the mornings like four years later when he first started training so that's how those connections started there and I realized then if I was going to make a go of things over here and wanted to ride I was going to have to get the right paperwork yeah I came back for another couple of years after that stint when I was like 22 got all the paperwork sorted and yeah I said in November I'm, I'm gonna give it a good crack of the whip and yeah, that's sort of all she wrote. Really, I got I got lucky, and a few horses won, and yeah, just I haven't I haven't looked back since seven years later. It's yeah, very it's
0: great. very interesting to me, Jerry. Like whenever we do these interviews, how many people who maybe started out um, in a jurisdiction overseas? How many people said I was so fascinated by American racing, like I had to go see for myself what this was about. So it's very interesting to me how many times we hear that, and then we sit here in like in the American jurisdiction, and we're like. European racing is so fascinating or Japanese racing is so exactly. fascinating. And it's like, everybody, everybody wants to see if the grass is greener on the other side. So it's really cool to see how many times people are like, I really wanted to see what this American thing was like. And I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> so well, yeah. yeah
2: just kind of talk, I was going to just kind of follow that up and, you know, talk about kind of the differences in, in, in what you know, racing over there and racing here too.
1: Yeah. I'd say, turf racing in Europe is the main surface and you have dirt racing in America which they do not have in England or Ireland and probably the majority of Europe apart from Mm -hmm. Dubai which have gone back to that surface they would be the biggest differences yeah like America is very much all about speed and dirt racing and that's Mm -hmm. their that's most of their big races are on the dirt and that's probably another thing as well. When you think back to, you know, everybody wants to see if the grass is greener. You know, you sit there as a kid and you watch the Breeders' Cup and you think, wow, you know, it's a, they make everything very glamorous. And you, as a young boy, you have to, you sort of have to see it to believe it. You know, you have to mm-hmm. get over here and say, you know, is it what I seen? And you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's always like you said, <laughs> yeah, the grass is probably the grass is probably not not as green because you still have to put in the graft. But uh, yeah. Definitely has a lot of appeal to people, and I'm sure I won't be the last one to do it. Mm. So, do you,
2: did, were there a lot of adjustments you had to make to your riding style uh, from there to here, or is it just no different than uh, making the adjustments from horse to horse, the amount yeah. race to race?
0: Because I know just something Junior said too that when when we had Junior Alvarado on, one of the things he said was when he was racing in his native country. No, the the styles was very, were very different than when he came to America and everything was condensed and packed together and he was like, Oh my goodness, like this is so different than what I'm used to. Is is kind of, you know, turf racing in in England and Ireland that much different, I guess, from from the American turf racing scene that you have experienced for yourself thus far?
1: Yeah, I think uh American riders is a lot more polished and go for the aesthetic look of looking stylish and clean on a horse in England and Ireland. You have a lot of undulating surfaces and race tracks mm-hmm. and have soft ground, which we'd race on where we wouldn't race on it here. We'd just put it onto the main track and horses, I would say horses, the races are generally run where the last fractions are faster than the beginning so horses seem to finish at the end whereas here you know you look at dirt racing the faster fractions are in at the beginning of the race usually Mm -hmm. unless you're riding good horses where they do accelerate at the end and I think as well going back to like the undulations I feel like when you watch and you probably have visually seen that as well when you watch like Royal Ascot you know which is one of the big meetings that you know, everybody gets to watch uh, during the summer. The riders probably do generally look a bit more agricultural, you know, they they look like they're moving a little bit more. Their body is -hmm. shifting in ways that you wouldn't see an American rider move on a horse. And I think that's probably just bound to, you know, the way the horses are finishing or the undulations and they probably ride a lot longer as well. You have to think about that, you know, Mm-hmm. The uh, American jockeys ride very short as well. So it's all about, you know, that aesthetic look over here, which trainers and owners do want to see, you know, you, you have IRAD and Gaflione and Louis Syres who have their own styles, but they're also very tidy, you know, and that's what trainers and owners want to see strong, tidy and ride well so you do have
2: to adjust yeah so now let me ask this just speaking of those undulations do you enjoy your purses aside do you enjoy going down to Kentucky Downs to ride down there to get that feel of home yeah it's a lot more tactical
1: you know obviously when you're riding around on the oval every day you know dirt tracks uh, turf tracks that are on the inside of you know inside of a general dirt track uh, which is pretty much the average racetrack in a, in America it has there's not really much incline and in elevation is there or and it's only Kentucky Downs that has brought that flavor of European esque to the industry now isn't it you know Kentucky Downs has become such a spectacle that people are like oh you know you need this you need that and the other for there but you do it it, it takes a lot more thinking you know can we start accelerating here versus there and yeah it takes a bit more mapping out
2: and i just gets i just i always feel for the horses because finishing on that uphill that incline and that's yeah. you know it's it's fairly steep man i mean that's <laughs> you gotta have a hell of a horse especially if you've been running a while that uh, can accelerate up that hill
1: Yeah, if you think of the way the horses are trained in England as well, they they generally train up hills, Mm -hmm. whereas in America, you know, we just train, you know, on a normal conventional flat surface. So I think generally, you know, when I was talking about the undulations in Europe, uh, they are already exposed to that just in their general morning routine.
0: On the gallops in the mornings.
1: Yeah, if you ever look up Newmarket in itself. Oh, it's beautiful yeah the majority of the training gallops there are up an incline so it's nothing they're not accustomed to the time they get to the track
2: so just do do you have a favorite track here in the u.s and you have a favorite track in in england that you just you can't wait for the meet to get started And 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 then thinking back to your time in england is there one that you want it, you'd want you want to go back to, you want to make the special trip back to go ride back there if, if the opportunity arose for you.
1: Yeah, I think uh, if we start with America, I think um, me and definitely people who are lucky enough and privileged enough to ride in Kentucky during the summer months, um, you know, Keenland and Churchill, I think you have to sit back and say, like, if, if you have made made your lifestyle here and get to ride there and are privileged enough to you know maintain a living here i think you you that's a that's a that's a i'd probably say So I don't know what the word would be for it. Well, but when, um,
2: you, when you when you're riding at Churchill in, in Keeneland and in Keenland and you're riding regularly, regular amounts at Churchill and Keeneland, you you've pretty much reached the pinnacle, at least in this country. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, people could say probably you, you're beating your own drum, but it, what you could you could ride here and it it's it's probably not quite working out for you. But if you can consistently maintain business here, you, you're a you have to see yourself as very privileged to be mm-hmm. you know riding or even being a trainer or owning horses, getting to run in this pre- those prestigious tracks uh, yeah. Eng- English tracks I mean I was living in the Newmarket area and gotcha. most racing in Newmarket it's, pre- it's at it's a high level so if, mm-hmm. if you could if I could ride there whenever those meetings were on, Yeah, you'd you'd feel pretty privileged to ride at your local track, yeah.
2: Gotcha. So I think a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. understand the role of jockey's agents and and the role that they play in, in getting you guys mounts and the relationship that the agents have with the trainers and so forth can you kind of talk just a little bit about that to give our people a little more understanding? Cause you know, all the time, I, I, you know, we get asked all the time, well, why don't you put so-and-so on the horse? Well, you know, it's not always up to just us and, and, you know, we can, we can say to the trainer, Hey, we'd like to have ride so-and-so, but, and sometimes it's not even really up to you yourself, but it, it kind of comes down to the agent, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the trainers, uh, the agents, sorry, they they sort of have the monopoly when it comes to riders and entries because they sort of work with the trainers as far as race planning, you know? So sometimes it's, you sort of have to play the game as such where, you know, say if I know Gaflione rides a lot for Brendan Walsh that you have horses with his agent might have two or three jockeys and, you know, it might be some, it might be an agent that, Brendan likes working with you know so and although you uh, the partnership um syndicate might be asking for a Pacific jockey and then you might be you know bamboozled why you're not getting the jockey you asked <laughs> it, it's just it's just how the business works and I think tra- certain trainers like working with certain agents and guess I guess they sort of do have a say you know they they are pretty influential to the making of the success of you know winning races so
2: and you know I mean I, I can't tell me times that I've heard you know an, a, 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 one of our trainers say well so-and-so's agent came to me and they they pointed out this race and thought this thought this horse might be a good fit here that happens a lot I mean, it's it's amazing yep
0: out of curiosity since we're talking about the agent and I've really genuinely i'm kind of curious because we've had like just to go back to temple city terror since it is pertinent to this conversation like she had at one point so many like different jockeys ride her is it usually a case where um th- that like the individual jockey came up to us or or we had to reach out and, and connect like I-, I guess i am curious how did we get adam at some point to, to ride temple city terror i'm very curious
2: Adam rode for us on Temple City Terror back at the fairgrounds. I think yeah. maybe you broke.
1: Yeah, I didn't break the maiden.
2: Didn't you? Didn't break the maiden, but yeah, you definitely rode. You rode for her. I uh, rode on her at the fairgrounds a couple times, and and then of course on her in the the first Kirtana that that she won.
1: She took quite. And how a while that came about, I don't know. Yeah, she took quite a while to blossom, though, didn't she?
2: She did. She absolutely <laughs> took her ten starts to break her maiden, and um, yeah once she got going and i think it, it took us to it took us figuring her out too that that she needed to be going longer than a mile and a 16th mm-hmm. yeah, i think that made a big difference in, in her success so but the, you know and just speaking of her i i just happened to notice that on my little uh, icon here adam uh on if you see that on, <laughs> on the screen uh, that's you yeah, that's Winnie, you <laughs> kirtana on temple city in my in my favorite picture that we that i have of all of our horses so that's the 2021 kirtana where you came back or where she won and and, and ran down oh gosh now i've forgotten that horse's name isn't it, horse. it dalica the
0: german mayor? Yeah, dalica. Yeah. yeah
2: yeah yeah and yeah miguel bless his heart rest in peace miguel Mena was on dalica cool. I mean, she was out there twenty-five lengths in front. Do you do you have many memories of that? And it's been a while. And I, you ride a ton of horses, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. But it's funny you say that because Delica actually went on to, I think she ended up, winning two or three races. Might have been that year or the following year. So oh, yeah, she, we we raced. Did, her several
2: times. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> she did it in that. She did it in that style and fashion. So. It wasn't like it was some sort of tactical mistake, and you know, uh, has has he has he done the wrong thing? I mean, that that was her. She was a free going filly, and she had her own fractions that she she liked to set. And to be fair to her, she was she was as tough as old boots, a bit like Temple City, you know. But right. your filly, uh, your mare, should I say? Uh, her, uh, I'd say, yeah, her Kryptonite was her change of gear you know she she could really quicken up for a couple of furlongs and that's the way she she liked to run so
2: well I, tell you, I I do i love that picture it's like as soon as you cross the finish line you look over at curtis and and give him a little nod almost is what it looked like and <laughs> it's just a great picture there at the finish line so
1: yeah i'm um, not quite sure what i was doing there to be quite <laughs> honest I, I i i i think in my head i was i was thinking oof he nearly got away with that, so right,
2: yeah, it was really close, and it was a heck of a race. And, um, it just uh, yeah, that was just, just a lot of fun, and um, and then you then you won won on uh, on her again the following year in a much different style race than this one during the day.
1: Yeah, yeah, we did it under the lights oh. and during the day, but I think uh, I think time was timing to where you know turf races started to have more appeal over you know, a mile and a mile and a quarter. And they started, we started being able to find more longer races for her. And especially at Churchill, they offer that. And uh, yeah, that, that was really the making of her really, wasn't it? Once we started stepping her up in distance.
2: The longer she went, the better she got. So that was, that's for sure. So Mm -hmm. uh, think about some of the other horses that you've ridden over the years. What are some of your favorites or some of the big races that uh, just really stand out when you think of, you know, highlights of, of your time, as a jock
1: are we talking about america or england
0: neither way either way
1: um i'd say there was two horses the year before i left which were very standout for me and kept me in the picture when when needed i won you these wouldn't be familiar races to you but when i said when you're like privileged to ride at your local tracks that host nice races um both of them were at newmarket one one was a race called the cambershire which is a prestigious handicap a horse called third time lucky so he won that and it was these are big handicap races i know we sort of tend to identify a handicap different in america but i'd probably say yeah they are basically stake races if if i was to translate obviously the the purses were as equal to a stakes race over here but uh, just the the magnitude of those handicaps over there uh, you know they, they draw a lot of attention and third time lucky who won the Cambridgeshire there he he was a 3-year-old running against older horses and it's a is it yes yeah, a straight mile mile one okay so no turn right. so we're talking 10 furlongs in a straight line so he was he was a a good horse to have in the back of your pocket as far as being a rider and a a good one for me to tell you that you know he's a special horse and then two weeks later there was there's a race called the cesaro which very similar prestigious handicap and that race is run over two miles too so you find a lot of steeplechase horses in in Mm -hmm. that race doing dual dual purpose mid you know sort of end of the season before you know those jump horses have a busy season during the winter and kind
2: of a little prep that, race for the jump horses, I guess. Almost,
1: Yeah, it is almost. Yeah. But obviously no jumps. So those jump horses find it very easy. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that was a horse named Grametti. So third time lucky and Grametti. that was a bit of a long story for you, but maybe you might go back and look at the, uh, the races. Absolutely.
0: Uh, That'd be interesting
1: cesarowich and the the cambridgeshire you can look back on the history of those races and maybe familiarize your yourself uh, yeah with, uh, i definitely because i know nothing in.
2: about european racing i i just i just don't and that's on me um,
1: well you never know maybe maybe you might get a nice young horse to take you over to royal ascot one day and that's that might be what it, all it takes for you to get more interested in it so It'd be interesting. Yeah,
2: it's not that i'm not interested in it you know i just I'm just I'm I'm I'll, I'm never in front of the television when those when they're running over there is the big thing. <laughs> not
1: not <laughs> so, even Royal Ascot.
2: I do try to watch Royal Ascot. I do, um, but uh, just in in general, I'm, you know, mornings are when I'm trying to knock out as much work as I can possibly knock out.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah well if you get the twin spas up
0: nbc universal i think has really stepped up their coverage as well like i think last year their royal ascot coverage either it won one of the awards like for the for the daytime show stuff um i'm pretty sure it won an award like it was really really good coverage and it's always a lot of fun it's it it's for me like because i i cover i follow european and and japanese and and southern hemisphere racing a lot and um it's always so much fun for me, especially when you see uh, when you see like these interviews with the American jockeys and the um, the American connections that go over to places like Royal Ascot for for these huge, you know, festivals that have that have been around for such a long time and they're such a prestigious event to go to. And it's always fun for me to to watch the jockeys be like, Everyone just looks so confident and I'm just here like I'm just here for the event. I'm just happy I'm here. And it's it's a great time and it everything always just looks everyone just looks so jubilant and they just look everyone just always looks like they're so happy to be there. And just the feeling is, is very um it's very lighthearted. It's very fun. And that's something I think that that Royal Ascot it's only like those what the, the five or six days I think that they run. Um
1: five days, yeah. Yep.
0: And it's and it has a
1: lot it has a lot of an American appeal. Yeah. To, you know, you mm-hmm. have all the american presenters on yep. uh, tvg now TV is it was it fandle they, they go over there.
0: and yeah. obviously
1: you know who johnny velasquez is he goes over there every year every year now wesley ward he goes wesley over there every year. So yeah it gives it gives people more you know interest to watch it i guess if you are american yeah. you know
0: well it also helps introduce you to like a a different i feel like um a different environment <laughs> for racing because I remember the absolute amazement that that I saw from like some of the American audience the year where I don't I don't know if it was Blue Point I don't remember who it was where the horse won a I think it was like a Group Three or something like that on Wednesday and then came back Friday and won a Group <laughs> One and people were blown away that he absolutely that he could just turn right back around and win like three you know two really hard races because it's not like these fields were you know, were, were just paper mache, like these were, these were some of the best that, that Europe and Ireland and Japan could, could conjure up for that point of the year. Just It's just very fascinating to see, especially like the, the straightaway races. I would really like us to start having just straightaway races because I saw, I feel like sometimes we get those horses that they're their own worst enemy and turns are the instigator. And I'm like, I would like to see them just run in a straight line. And just Unfortunately, see what all of
2: our tracks are in the middle of cities where you
0: can't have
1: a mile long straight away.
0: <laughs> I know. Which is a bummer. But even if,
1: even if you had, like, I always I was I was always thinking maybe they should maybe trial or implement a, just a, maybe a straight 5.8 uh, Kentucky Downs maybe. I'm not sure yeah. where they'd put it. How would they be able to put it? Yeah, even, they could do because... I think you could do it there. Just at the brink of that turn there. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. that you're almost at half a mile there. You're you just like you're at three and a half at least, if if even if you just sort of went dug into that car park a little bit, you could have a straight five five eights there and I think that would bring a lot of appeal for the two year olds, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: I, I now I do have this question. So when you're doing a straight mile race where how, and, and granted now you've got you know television screens so it's much easier for for fans to to know what's going on throughout the entire race but i i think back to when you know before there were big screens all over the place how did people watch those races
0: <laughs>
2: yeah i so mean so when you start that
0: far I mean, <laughs> 10 furlong straight away <laughs>
1: yeah i think i think they just drive a car alongside don't they
0: well, yeah, okay. they do. They do. In 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 some places where they can't get, um, uh, like the grandstand cameras don't reach quite that far back. Yeah. Um, they have a car. I know in yeah. in Dubai and and in the yeah. Saudi Cup, especially when they start those races yeah. right in the turns, when they swoop yep. down, they will have a, a a pace car that'll follow along with them, and then at there some point when they hit a certain, I think a certain furlong marker that's when the grandstand cameras take over and that's when that yeah. that's when the rest of the big screen pops up you
1: got it well explained but, yeah
2: but they didn't have that in the in the 50s 40s and 50s and 60s
1: I uh, yeah yeah no i do agree i mean probably the the coverage and just, just even the, the quality line, right? of film back then was probably so bad anyway wasn't it right <laughs>
0: Well, you were saying I was like, you know, for, for, um, like even if we look at some of the film coverage from like Secretariat's Belmont, like, you know, he's by himself for most of that race. But, like, it's still, like, there's still some of it for, I imagine for, for the game for the betters, the handicappers who wanted to know who was going to round out their exactos Like, everybody else is so far behind. I mean, you were pretty much guessing up until they hit the wire. Because, you know, so I, I, I feel like, what what is mystifying to me on these straightaway races when they break into two groups and one is yeah. on the other side so- one is on one side of the straightaway and one is on the other and now the announcer has to figure out how he's going to call them and in what order they're going to be called because you've essentially got two different races going on that is mystifying to me
1: yeah so like I mentioned and you said I think we're still on the same topic of the favourite horses, and I haven't even got to the American ones yet. But I to <laughs> you about third time lucky that won the Cambridgeshire. So that that is ran at uh, the Rowley Mile, Newmarket, mm-hmm. and uh, so Newmarket is has the longest straightaway, and it's the widest course in in Britain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's 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 fitting for at least twenty five horses. So I think Ooh. I think might be more, and I'm not sure how many runners there are in the Cambridgeshire but it's it's usually 25 plus and you should look that race up third time lucky and they split either either side of the track and like you said it's it's a commentator's nightmare I don't I don't know how he maps that out and figures out how to remember all those colors and them obviously being so far away like you said I mean it, it definitely is a caller's nightmare.
2: So is there is there a reason that those that you see those splits like that is are is that like a are those decisions made or is it just kind of a, they gotta go somewhere? Yeah,
1: kind of right I just it. I just think they just try and it because a lot of a lot of horses like cover in a race you know grass horses mm-hmm. they like to be covered up and for a prime example Temple City Terror I mean the less daylight she's seen until you had to pull her out and you know push the buttons and let her go that's probably the best indicator for her to say okay it's the time to go but if if you have a 26 plus field race and you're all trying to go for one rail someone someone's not going to get the running of <laughs> the race the way their horse wants to be ridden you know so if you split up the field and sometimes the grass is always it could be faster on one side so
0: mm-hmm.
1: um you know the, the faster the ground the more people that want to go over to it. So sometimes you might find it might just be one horse that goes over to the far side, you know, <laughs> yeah. so we've seen, we've seen, I've seen that many a times, but uh, I think, yeah, I've seen them split into three groups as well. One group comes down the middle yep. and it's more mm-hmm. just, if you are drawn high or you're drawn low, you're, you're going, you're going to try and stick to the rail that's closest to you. Especially on straightaways
0: where you're not behooving to turns, I think too. Because turns yep. are a different animal altogether. Then you kind of don't have a choice. You have to choose yep. the rail that has the turn. <laughs>
1: okay, so
2: now your fa- your favorite North American horses.
1: Yeah, so I, I was lucky enough my first year to ride two nice mares for Joe Sharp, Triple Chelsea, and <laughs> um, Mums on Strike. So they, they really projected me onto the scene. In America that first year and they were winning at fairgrounds when I first came and then they won at Keeneland the pair of them and uh, one of them notoriously beat Lady Aurelia who we all know mm-hmm. Wesley Ward's you know super mm-hmm. speedy mare so that them them two really helped me and if we're talking more closer to our time now Dance Macabre for yeah. Kelsey Danner who won at Kentucky Downs like the track we we're just talking about and she's definitely kept me in the picture and Mohawk trail. She kept me in the the stakes winning picture. And these, these fillies that I'm talking about, I mean, they're the ones that just keep you relevant. And I have a, you know, a lot of respect for those, those fillies and they're very good at what they do. And I think still they're probably going to make a name for himself this year. They're still in training and, I do have a horse for you to follow as well. So, <laughs> all right, which one? His name's Shards, S H A. Okay. He he's a three-year-old colt. He ran in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Uh That was his last run. He broke his maiden actually at Colonial, and he hasn't won a. He hasn't. He's 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 only won one race, but he was fifth in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. I think more to the reason for that is he's like a six and a half furlong horse and you know, a gotcha. two-year-old you're you can be slightly restricted to that distance mm-hmm. it's either five and a half or you go a mile you know so yeah. yeah very decent animal ran in some very nice races and i think he's a horse to follow for
0: 2024
2: very cool D- duly noted thank you mm-hmm. all right so um uh, here, now this was not on our list but just got me thinking about, you talked a lot about the fairgrounds you rode for us down at the fairgrounds but now you're spending the winter at turfway park um what do you think how you how you how you enjoying the uh, winter racing at night
1: <laughs> yeah hey it's night racing four days a week takes a bit of getting used to but uh <laughs> I can imagine. The cookie crumbles i'm afraid and you know uh we get get we're getting used to it and uh staying closer to home is is always a benefit can get a little pricey when you start leaving leaving town for the winter months and Mm -hmm. then the pressure becomes you know you sort of you sort of have to you have to do well enough to leave your fort for the winter you know so um it was a decision that I'd been thinking about during the summer of 23 and uh you just I just made the decisive decision yeah. to do it and spoke to a couple of people and yeah the way we went and uh, you know, it's paying off so far
2: well and the persons, I mean you know th- three or four years ago like probably four or five years ago you know, you, you couldn't have done it you know because you're the persons were so terrible and now yeah. though and they they've improved them so much it makes it has to make it a whole lot a whole lot easier to make that decision to, to stick around home
1: I agree I mean uh, Kentucky racing has become one of the most predominant uh, racing jurisdictions in America now, isn't it really? And with that, it becomes more competition, which we all know. And mm-hmm. it's drawn a lot of people closer to you know, the state of Kentucky. And um, I think it was more of a decision and time to sort of home your craft where you want to be during the summer so it just felt like when i was leaving every winter to go down to fairgrounds i don't know how much it was really trans transferring when i came back north for the summer you know so there is pros and cons to everywhere you go for the winter but uh no i haven't any complaints i guess you just have to get used to riding on the poly track for four months
2: right yeah okay well, I'm gonna, this is our, my final question, and it's one that I, I ask of any any guests that come on the show. If if you're king for a day in North American racing, what change do you make?
1: I'd say either December or January, we take the whole month off as an industry.
2: I like that. <laughs> I really like that a lot. Yeah, it would be I good think... for
1: everybody. Yeah I, yeah, I really do think. I think it'd be good for the horses, and if you think about it, generally the horses you have as a syndicate they they probably run once a month right Mm -hmm. Mm. so that's not going to affect them i'm not saying shut down the tracks i'm just saying just take a pull for a month of december or january and we've got to this day and age day and age now where we can definitely support that i think it will be good for the staffing Mm. uh you know, riders would uh, appreciate it with day-to-day grind with their weight. Trainers will be able to take a breath and sort of be able to regroup, and the main athletes of the whole, yep. the whole conversation. The horses would really appreciate it, you know.
0: So basically, like a spell for everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's great.
0: Say that again. Says so, that so it's kind of like a spell for everybody where Just you're not you're not completely gone, but you're you have that opportunity to to decompress and it's not constant go 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 every single month
1: yeah the the thing that stops that is greed right you know it's usually the people that are so busy that they run off their feet that would agree with me but not everybody's as busy as the next man so they want to try and undercut somebody else or outwork them outsource them so you know greed gets in the way and I think if it was just became a thing in in December or January I mean I think it would all give us a time to just reset and Mm -hmm. I don't I don't want it to come across lazy or anything but it will just be I think it would be conducive to everybody you know
2: I, don't, I mean, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. It, it would be good for the horses, I think, to just, uh, and, you, know, you and obviously you know, they're still going to get time off throughout, you know, other parts of the year as they need it. But to just have that time where, where they can just, we just, you take the foot off the gas just a little bit. I, yeah, I like, like that. I
1: mean, if, I mean, if you think about Florida, they have nice weather in the, in the winter fairgrounds, is not too bad. But if you're generally thinking about, you know, New York or Kentucky, yeah. What's the weather like in December or January? It's bleak. It's
0: yeah. My God, it's pretty it's miserable. Zero, zero <laughs> out there.
1: And I mean, does it does anybody really want to be rushing around for evening yeah. racing?
0: Well and, and to kind of, you know, defend your your point here, you know, uh we talk a lot about how hard the people on the backside work and how hard the, the grooms work and how hard the exercise riders work and how much work a jockey has to put in to make sure that you know he or she has has maintains good good contact with, with their trainers and the people who give them mounts and you know taking like you said a month for yourself for your mental health for your well being like a a refreshed person a happy person does better work and and you know is happier in their job and functions better than someone who always is exhausted and and you know I, I think to, to kind of defend your point here like I I, I don't think um it would be it would be considered lazy like i consider that as as smart like you you realize that i need this time and i think just giving that to people who maybe can't necessarily you know do that would would do a lot of people a lot of good i happen to i think, too Patty, good I good
2: think patty's angling for a month of paid vacation
0: i mean yeah. if i if i really wanted one i could just go to the beach and work from my laptop so <laughs> But it's but like, that,
1: that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. uh, it's you know it's about the greed and people would think, well, yeah. like, I can't go a month without working, you know. But yeah. it's not a fact of that. It would just be, you know, racing would just take yeah. a back step. You know, it's not yeah. necessarily everything's closing down. Yeah. But uh,
0: yeah, we're not we're not talking COVID shutdown. We're talking like we don't yeah, have to
1: taking the foot off the gas. Yeah,
0: not like, 15 like, hour days every day. Yeah, yeah. let's
1: put it that way if 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 2020 didn't make us believe that they could shut down the whole the whole world then i'm yeah. sure we could we could just right. take a little back step for a month here. you know
0: yeah
2: well adam thank you so much for joining us today i've really enjoyed this Get, enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better and and know about the you hear about your 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 history and in, in this sport that we that we love and have all chosen to make our livings at and um uh, just, just greatly, greatly appreciate it and uh, look to get you on, get you back in those uh, red silks again here sometime as soon as we can.
1: Yeah, look forward to it. Pleasure and hopefully see you all at the races soon.
2: Sounds very good. Thank you so much, Adam. Thanks, guys. Patty, take us home.
0: Absolutely. And thank you, everybody, who tunes in this week and every week. We see you guys. We see your support and we greatly really appreciate it we are on all of the social medias we're on facebook twitter and instagram under pocket aces racing we also have a youtube also under pocket aces racing make sure you hit that bell that you're subscribed you get those notifications and as always as i remind everybody have a happy wednesday have a good wednesday make good choices and the podcast is out